and welcome to another episode of General Nerd Sense, the podcast from Shieldwall Productions, where we talk about anything and everything, oh, generally nerdy. And on this episode, we have myself, John. And Jacob. And on this episode, we're going to be I talking- I would like to have an argument. What would you like to argue about, Jacob? Knights or Vikings who make better mercenaries would in a like... D&D setting. Would you like the five-minute argument or the full half hour? This is Shieldwall. <sighs> okay, let me just put away my carefully- Crafted notes for the topic I had in mind. All right. Knights, fight your barbarians, whatever. Better mercenaries. Go on. I, see, I'll definitely take the side of the knights because, you, you know. I wasn't going to let you have the barbarians yeah. in this one. But knights definitely. You took my notes. You're not taking my barbarians. Knights are definitely better mercenaries. I am. And, you know, I, I think it just comes down to, like, the practical side of, I mean, Sure, you have Viking Raiders and stuff like that, but in terms of, you know, arms and training and from a role-playing side, I'd, I'd much rather hire a bunch of, you know, men who look like they have good armor, good weapons, than a bunch of people clad in, like, fur pelts and with farm tools as weapons. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, I'm going to counter that. I see where you're coming from on this one, and I'm going to point to real-world history on this one as well. So, the Byzantine Empire, they're famed for their uh, kind of knightly cataphracts uh, cavalry, yeah? Mm -hmm. So, why then did the Byzantine Emperor prefer to have a band of Swedish Vikings as his personal bodyguard and retinue? Because they're just better in pretty much every conceivable way, except for their armor, because it doesn't matter. They've got the know-how and overall better are better fighters that make their armor kind of inconsequential. I mean, I'd counter with just the fact of Byzantine, Byzantine Empire didn't do so well throughout history. They fared longer than where they started, which was as the Eastern Roman Empire. They outlived the original Roman Empire. You know, but their territory never really expanded much. Not to mention, you know, European, like, Lance Connect and French mercenaries of the sort they lasted a lot longer than the Vikings did. The Viking Age lasted about 300 years, Jacob. Yeah, and the mercenaries of Europe lasted well into the Renaissance from the 1100s. Anyway, <laughs> well, let's let's look at things from more of a more of a D&D side of things. Okay. I, you know, Vikings and barbarians do have their perks. I mean, you do have berserkers, things like that. I think a well-rounded group of knightly party members is still going to fare better in battle than kind of the wild cards of a Viking party. I would... I offer a dissenting opinion. <laughs> I would actually argue the complete opposite, because yes, barbarians sure are wild cards, but that's kind of what makes them likely to be an overall better mercenary force is because they're wild cards, they're a lot more tactically flexible and have answers and solutions to a lot more problems than, say, a night party would. A night party, yeah, is going to have answers to a lot of things, sure. I'll give you that, at least. I'll give that much ground. But there are some things that they're going to be outright stumped on. They're not going to be super great at kind of hit-and-run sabotage missions, hit and run, whatever. They're not going to be good at the kind of more 
fiddly and subtly nuanced stuff. Whereas Vikings, yeah, sure, or Viking barbarians, whatever, they'll go in howling, charging, whatever, but they will have the tactical availability and flexibility due to the nature of their equipment to where they can be a bit more subtle just because they're not literally shining in light of any kind, be it starlight, moonlight, sunlight, whatever. Mm -hmm. They can utilize stealth a bit better than knights can. And sure, that's kind of anti-knight anyway, but that's also kind of the point I'm trying to make, is that barbarians can wear a lot of hats, whereas now, knights can only wear helmets. Now, I would, I would, you know, give up the knights would be better out in, like, the wilderness as, as a mercenary party. You mean barbarians? No, knights. Knights? Because barbarians, they... They're from the north. They're from a more... Not necessarily. We're talk if we're talking Vikings, sure, they'll be from a northern climate, but barbarians as a whole are from kind of anywhere. When, when you talk about barbarians, you usually assume that they're not going to be from, and as I do this in air quotation, civilized culture as the knights. Knights, I feel, operate better in cities and more urban environments than barbarians. Because I'd say a party of knights wouldn't be as good as, like, living off the land and hunting as a party of barbarians or Vikings would. Mm -hmm. However, I think for, you know, general warfare, like, if you're hiring a group, you know, to function as a unit within a battle or, you know, sending them off to do a mission, I'd say the knights are probably going to reign king kind of in that situation haha <laughs> not to mention you also have like the more the higher social standing with with your night party they're going to be more trustworthy like at face value than your party of barbarians or vikings would be i mean yes and no because if we're going i'll just I'll fit the type here, and when I refer to barbarians, I'll just use Vikings as my motivation, inspiration, yeah. whatever. Um, the thing about Vikings is that yes, they had their own personal motivations and all that sort of thing, sure. But when they kept, when they gave their given word on anything, and that includes mercenary work, they kept it above all else because they they put their personal motivations aside. That's why the Byzantine Temper wanted Vikings as his personal bodyguard because his normal personal bodyguard kept trying to fucking kill him. He knew that the Vikings. Mm -hmm. give the Vikings a chance, like, give me your word that you won't fucking kill me and, and you'll protect me from my usual guard and then when I die of my own volition, not by murder you can have my stuff and they kept their given word in fact, I think if I recall correctly, they were um, at least one of the parties was just relieved of duty when the Emperor was coming close to the end of his reign anyway, like, he was just like, I'm about to die soon you guys can fuck off, I'm good like, I release you from your given word, and like, cool, Z's, off we go. But Because they kept their given word. I, though, what I'm saying, though, at face value, in a typical medieval society, are you going to trust a bunch of men in armor who look skilled, or a bunch of people in fur pelts who look like, you know, foresters, or, you know, people who aren't as civilized? Depends to... who and where I am, Jacob. If we're talking in urban small town city environment not sure maybe the knights but also maybe the foresters well depending on the kind of job i'm looking for them to do if i'm talking raw mercenary job i might actually trust i not might i actually would trust the vikings or barbarian types a lot more just because they 
can be self-sufficient and self-reliant so that I they're one less factor for me to worry about being distrustful because if they need something they'll go ahead and get it so I can focus my attentions on other things and I can send them off and do things and know that'll just get done I don't have to mm -hmm. worry necessarily over much about making sure they've got enough supplies because they'll be able to find those supplies for themselves just throwing that out there yeah and let's let's establish some common ground like let's say you know both parties are going to be charging the same amount of money to be mercenaries because yes. it's kind of important i mean in reality you know vikings might charge less than knightly armored clad people but for this situation I don't know, as, as a local lord or, you know, someone who's hiring mercenaries. Well, let's back up and establish, you know, mercenaries for what? Let's say mercenaries in an ongoing military campaign and have the groundwork from there. Okay. As a local lord, when I'm hiring people, I'm going to look for good equipment because good equipment generally is going to be expensive, which means that they're going to have to have made money before. Sure. To pay for it. And, you know, you also, you're also getting what you buy. So if I'm buying a bunch of knights who are clad in plate mail or, you know, more heavily armored equipment... You're buying a bunch of toy soldiers. You're, buy, you're buying people that could probably survive a little bit longer if the fighting gets heavy. Potentially. Whereas, you know, fur pelts, leather... It's armor that pretty much anyone could feasibly afford at the time period. Yes. And if they've made a a living as mercenaries with that equipment rather than requiring the uh, tin cans that the knights will wear I'm going to err on the side of the barbarians just because if they've made a living as a mercenary band with such basic equipment and been successful about it they're probably good value for their money and if they're using such basic tools if we're going with you know the basic tool or basic weapons whatever they're using axes predominantly you know, a couple swords here that with axes and plums stuff like that those are much easier to repair and make, make repairs to on the fly in an ongoing campaign which means less of a logistical nightmare for me as far as things to worry about the means to fix these things you know broken axe shaft ha axe half spear shafts wooden shields whatever wood is plentiful i can find woods anywhere and the suitable repairs can be made leather and fur armor great much fe more feasible to carry around the means to repair leather and fur equipment than it is to carry around an entire smithy to fix the tin cans I'm erring on the side of the barbarians in this one because if they've made a living as a mercenary party with such basic equipment and basic armor it means they are damn fucking good because if they hadn't there A wouldn't be very many of them let's say also mm -hmm. it's also the same number of Oh yeah, that's one. kind of same I thought it was assumed because yeah, same number of mercenaries. So if, same if you have a knightly value. party of twelve or a barbarian party of party of twelve and a knightly party of three, you're obviously going to buy the more men for the same price. You're going to buy one of the twelve, sure. But if it's both both options, you know, knightly party of twelve or a barbarian party of twelve, and the party of twelve, and it is assumed that these are both veteran mercenary parties, and the veteran mercenary party of twelve has managed to stay that that party of twelve throughout their mercenary career. Definitely going with them because that's better value for my money, both in terms of, yes, they've got the experience to get the job done, and they are clearly skilled fighters if they are still that number, and better value for my money because I don't have to pay it and shell out as much to help them maintain their equipment. Now, and they will be accustomed to it 
I will give you give this much slightly lesser standard of living as far as rations and stuff like that. So I won't have to spring with as much coin to provide things that people of a higher status in society would be more accustomed to find agreeable in order to maintain their levels of contentment and happiness in my service. Though I would say as a local lord, I'd be more inclined to hire the party that has a cleaner face. Because, you know, if you're hiring a bunch of barbarians, it makes the local lord, the person hiring them, look like he's a barbarian or he isn't as well capped. Because well, if, I we're mean, going, if we're talking ongoing military campaign, you're hiring these soldiers for an ongoing military campaign. You're about to head out in the field with these soldiers. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with the scarier-looking troops, sir. But you got to remember, at the time, like in the medieval time period... This isn't the medieval time period. This is D&D. Well, barbarians are, are everywhere. And yes there are, and no. There, there's things scarier than human barbarians in the D&D world, Jacob. There's knolls out there. There's knolls out there. Yeah, but I mean, we're not having an argument about whether or not we're hiring orcs as mercenaries. Because if you're if you're a human lord and you're hiring like orcs or something like that to you know be your mercenaries, depending on the setting you're the the D and D setting you're in, this may be a sign of desperation. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> not to mention, typically in D and D, orcs aren't the brightest. Yes. Whereas, you know, if you're... And they're probably not going to be quite as uh, honorable as your party of barbarians or knights. Sure. I'm I mean, not going to argue that one, but because yeah. we're not having that argument. True. However, I mean, going away a little bit from just the knight, Lands Connect. Great mercenaries for the time period. Yes. Part of the reason that is, is they were as courageous and, you know, bloodthirsty as, you know, berserkers. Yes. They also wore flamboyant colors, which scared people off the battlefield because, I mean, when, you're, when your arm and armament is... Uh, as gaudy and peacockish as possible. Yeah. Also when, you know, a codpiece is part of the uniform. Right. Not to mention, they do have a wide variety of weapons. They mm -hmm. have pikes and halberds, zweihanders, which in either include, you know, the... Oh, fuck, what's the uh, curb blade called? Got me. It's like flambe or... Flamberge. Flamberge. That, there we go. Um, you do have a pretty decent variety of weapons. Sure. Because they aren't as, you know, concerned as, you know, just swords and lances as your typical knight would be so they have they have a moderate amount of gear because they're mercenaries so they're going to buy what they get but they are on the knightly side of things in terms of their gear and equipment yeah i'd say you know if you had the a landschnick are kind of the hybrid of the two jacob you can't pick the middle ground it it isn't a hybrid though because they are not vikings or barbarians they are they have the tendencies just Jacob. because just be Jacob just because they plunder a lot doesn't make them barbarians cuz any mercenary I didn't say they were barbarians I just said they had the tendencies anytime you don't pay your mercenaries bad things happen whether or not you're not paying your barbarian mercenaries or not paying your knightly mercenaries they they want their fair share fine the french learned this in the 100 years war when their mercenaries that didn't get paid kind of made their own little kingdoms out of france mm -hmm. Not pay your mercenaries. 
generally a bad call. Because your mercenaries like money. That's usually why they're mercenaries. That's kind of their deal. Yeah. They, they, they kind of fight for money. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd say, like, if you had a, a more, you know, rounded, like, party of knights, not just your yearly noble, like, knightly armor sort of mercenaries, but mm-hmm. people who are armed like the knights of the time period, but are for more common birth. What time period, Jacob? We're talking D&D fantasy settings here. D&D is generally agreed upon to be right around, like, the Middle Ages, the Renaissance. Stylistically. But not necessarily also the case, because then if that were the case, there wouldn't be so many knights in shining armor running around in the form of paladins. It just, it wasn't, that that was just never a thing. It's glorified. Sure. Idealized. Heroic, Mm. you know. Mm. But I would say, with with Lang... With Lens Connect, um, you're also getting flintlock rifles. Okay. Because the the one problem with knights, I will admit, like just your pure, what you picture as a knight, they don't use ranged weapons. There are some tabletop fantasy things where there is firearms involved, I'll grant you this, yes. But that also means that, yes, your barbarians can have those as well. Yeah, but they're not usually agreed upon to be as civilized and don't have the most current technology. Sure, and I would actually argue that I'll still side on the barbarian side of things in terms of my mercenary party if I see an option of knightly types with expensive equipment that's hard to maintain and expensive ranged weapons that have harder to acquire ammunition. If I see that, or mercenaries with less expensive equipment that is easier to maintain, that are equally proficient and efficient, and efficient with, and ranged weapons in the form of bows and crossbows, whatever, which which is, has much more easily acquirable ammunition, I'm going to go with them because, again, better value for my money. And I'm going to raise you, this is my boomstick. Yes. Which, and your boomstick is, is terrifying. Expe- is terrifying, and it's also very expensive to run. It's terrifying, and not that expensive, as long as you have powder, which in a D&D setting, you can pick up black powder from pretty much any alchemist. It doesn't matter what ammo you have, because as people learned with the blunderbuss, oh, the blunderbuss, you can fill it with whatever you have on hand, whether it's rocks, glass, forks, spoons. Yes, yes. Sporks. Yes. You can, you, you fire a blunderbuss, which is pretty much just... Whatever you can stuff in the yeah. barrel, sure. Or I'll raise you, I don't need to find an alchemist to fuel my bow and arrow or crossbow. I just need to find a forest and have not even necessarily bits of metal laying around if we're talking that much. Then I just need to find a forest, have some fletching on hand, which comes in the form of I can find birds fucking anywhere I want. This is the wilderness where I'm not going military campaign. I'll make some cheapest chips ammunition that doesn't necessarily have a metal point but i still can have ammo for my ranged weapons pretty much at a whim what lowers morale more getting hit with an arrow or getting hit with four forks kind of depends on the enemy we're fighting here you're getting hit with forks sure um you 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 got hit with a fork and and you're gonna run out of forks the more you do that it'll work a couple of times you underestimate how many forks i carry on me I'm a lands connect. I've plundered a lot of forks. Cool. You're now giving up your part part of your loot to fuel your ranged weapon. I can pick it back up. 
I can pick my arrows back up. I can pick my bolts back up. But you can reuse forks more than arrows. Sure. But, like, how to say, if I'm an archer running through a battlefield and I've fired my arrows, if there's one nearby that is serviceable, I can pick that up off the ground and use it. If I'm... If you're a, running, through if I'm the... running through the battlefield with a flintlock weapon and I'm out and I don't have a shot in, I need to spend at least, at least the next thirty seconds loading a round, rather than oh ammo, pick it up off the ground, fire it in a couple of seconds. You can get pretty fast with a flintlock rifle. Can you get as fast as firing an arrow? The answer is no. You're I'd not say... as versatile. You're not as flexible. You don't have as much combat flexibility and tactical flexibility. Yes, you've got raw power in your flintlocks. Well, the trade-off is, in, because it's flintlock, the reload time. You're, yes, you hit like a goddamn train. Your reload time fucking sucks. There's just no way around it. No matter how skilled you are, you're the best you're getting, even that, like, under ideal circumstances, about three rounds a minute. Whereas my bow is, like, by comparison, in terms of rate of fire, like an automatic weapon. But if you have a party of people... Cool, you... they've all fired a volley, now they need to spend the next however long reloading. That's why you don't fire volley. You fire one, then another... And then while the first guy's reloading, you fire another, then you fire another. And with, you know, blunderbuss, you can hit a wider area of targets because it's more or less a shotgun. Sure. So blunderbuss's range is adorable compared to a longbow or a crossbow. Due to the shot dispersion coming out of that, I'm sorry, a crossbow or a longbow is going to have more accuracy over, long, over greater range. I'd say a longbow, definitely, because longbows didn't stop getting used for a very long time for a very specific reason of they're they're really good at what they do yes but and that has ruined someone's day in particular just ruined someone's day like your day doesn't recover when you've been hit by a longbow but the thing about a flintlock rifle your day ends when you get hit with a flintlock your your life ends when you hit like flintlock rifle sure i'll grant you this much but like not only that it's easier to pick up and train someone to use a flintlock rifle to almost an expert level as opposed to a longbow. Sure. And if you have a party of Lance Connect-esque mercenaries, every man can have a flintlock rifle as well as a sword and primary weapon. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you, you have that versatility of you can have as many ranged people in your party as you need, or you can have as many close combat people. At the the trade-off of, again, your ranged weapons are a lot more expensive to keep running. They're a lot more logistically cumbersome to keep running than your bows and your crossbows. I mean, the cost... They are. Of, the, cost the cost of a good arrow, though, is still going to be pretty expensive. Powder is relatively cheap. I mean, if you look at, like, D&D or Pathfinder, powder is... It... I mean, it can be, but again, also, ongoing military campaign depends on where you are. Sure, you can stock up, but you have no idea how much of it you're going to be using over the course of the campaign. Whereas a bow, like the barbarians using the bows and the crossbows, like, yeah, arrows and bolts can become pricey, but I don't have to worry about availability as long as I can find a couple of trees. Not to mention, you can also use your powder kegs as weapons as well if you're running a saboteur mission yeah you now have that added bonus of you can bl- blow things up sure which but then there is again another trade-off it's like cool we can run the sabotage mission and then have to worry a bit more about keeping our weapons running in not a sabotage missions or you can go with the barbarians who are just like i have fire fire burn thing good and i can still keep my weapons running because i haven't used the thing that keeps them running 
to do the mission. But you're now accomplishing the mission much more easily than burning things and shooting things with bows. Because if you're running a saboteur mission, you can blow something up and then hike it out of there. You're doing the mission. You could. If we're, say, we're talking saboteur mission, say, in, like, a siege setting, in a besieging setting. Yeah. Okay, I'll raise you this much. Again, putting straight-up history on this one. My barbarians don't need to go anywhere near the city to sabotage the city. They just need to catch the birds coming out of the city. That, that can be used for either one. can be used for either one. But again, probably the knightly types aren't going to think of that. You're, like think, I said, the lowborn Lance Connect types, where they're, they're for plundering. But when we think knightly types, we don't think lowborn. We started the conversation as knights, Jacob. You can't backpedal to something that's more agreeable they're, to your argument. Clo- you just can't. You can't do that, they're Jacob. They're close enough to knights. Not really, well, though. They're really not. We start off with knights. Well, I mean, you've types. been arguing with me about firearms for the past little bit, so I think we've already kind of assumed. You derailed me on that one, but like, you get my point. We're talking. So we said in terms of like a DD setting, it's kind of more in, you know Middle Ages that sort of thing. Yes, luck can happen, whatever. But like, that's more towards the end of the Middle Ages at best. So, like, it wouldn't be as common, wouldn't be as prevalent. Mercenaries certainly wouldn't have it because it's just too expensive. Sure but, they would. They're making money to do what they do in war. Also, boomsticks. Okay, great. Actually, you've just let me know the point. Even if mercenaries do have it, I, as a local lord in an ongoing military campaign, that is going to be exorbitantly expensive for me to fuel flintlock weapons with. I'm going to go ahead and go with the thing that's less expensive to keep running. I... The the idea of giving your mercenaries weapons and ammo kind of I feel defeats the purpose of mercenaries. No, no, they come with the weapons and ammo that they they come with. It's just your job to see to the logistical overhead to keep those running. To I'm, keep those up, maintaining. If, them. if I'm a local lord, I'm going to assume they're buying their own ammo and supplies. I'm going to pay them a set amount to do their job, because that's I mean. With maybe mercenary armies, you're giving them food and logistical supplies. But if it's a group of five men that you're paying to do one-off missions here and there, I'm going to pay you an amount. You buy your own stuff. I'm not going to worry about the logistical... Okay, but it's not a one-off mission. We're talking ongoing campaign, long-term military campaign here. But but you're sending this group of five men to do one-off missions. You're not going to have a five-man group be the spearhead of your army. You're going to have them do, you know, kill this dude, blow up this stuff, destroy this. Okay. So, I don't know. Maybe it's just my perspective on the five-man mercenary group, let's say, but... Okay. That that dials it down from the 12 men that we started at, but okay. No, I said... I said we should agree upon, like, it's a set amount of people for both. And we said on 12... No, I said... You can rewind and it's said 12, 12, Viking, or 12 barbarian types or 12 knightly types. We literally said that earlier, like... I, I was more using that ago. as a, juxt- a juxtaposition of we're, it's the same amount of people. I never agreed upon 12 people. Because you know what happens when we have arguments on the fly, Jacob. You, you don't have a 12-man D&D party. No, you don't. Okay, fine. You, five. F- four or five, you know, is your typical D&D party. We'll, we'll set the number at five, because five is five. Whatever. That's more reasonable. That's a more reasonably sized mercenary force than four. Yeah. Fine. Five barbarians or five knightly types, and you can't backpedal the lance knight just because it suits your argument better. Sure, I can. But you can't. If you're arguing knightly types, you gotta go. They with, they are close enough to you knightly gotta types. Gotta go with the quintessential knightly types. I'm stipulating this much because otherwise your lance knights 
are just have too much commonality with barbarian types in terms of behavior and adaptability. They've got too much flexibility for you to argue that they are knightly types. That's the whole point of this. Is like, yes, but they are mercenaries, and knights wouldn't be caught dead being mercenaries. That's why knightly types—they're close enough because knights wouldn't be a mercenary faction. They—they they have honor. They have land. If if you're looking at more of like your hedge knight types, they're probably going to be closer akin to lands connect than local lords. Okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> I mean, can you at least agree on that? Like, I can agree on that only because we you're literally derailed me from the topic I had in mind, and this is what happens <laughs> when you do that. I'm good at arguing. I mean, you did do debate club in school, so like I did one, and then they kicked me out because I I don't use good debate tactics. Right, I can tell. I can tell. I like to derail things onto my side. Jeez, I can tell. Back to the topic at hand. To the listeners out there, read a book called The Art of Controversy. Back to the topic at hand. And you'll always win debates. Uh Uh-huh. Back to the topic at hand. If we're going for more of your, like, your hedge knight mercenaries, Mm -hmm. they aren't going to be as rigid as a noble knight would be. Because, I mean, they're not going to have the same you know, honor to worry about. Because mm. they're worried about money, not honor. Right. So they, they're going to be a little bit more versatile with the arms and armament they use. Sure. I'm glad you brought that up, though, because if they're more worried about money, then they can just be bought to switch sides at the last second. Yeah. That hap- That's not suitable for me as a local lord buying, mer- buying mercenaries if I have to worry about someone just outbidding me at the last second. Like, literally in combat, I have to, if I have to worry about my... Mercenaries getting swept swapped out from underneath me just because they got paid more at the last second. That's always going to be a problem if you're hiring mercenaries. Not if you're hiring Viking-type barbarian mercenaries, because, again, we go back to what I started with, is that they kept, keep their given word. They're not going to be bought. They're literally being bought for their word. They're not going to... They're, when they have given, they have given their word, they can't then be bought to break that word. So now we go into the side of things where your knightly type mercenaries are going to be more survivable for a D&D party because if they're in a position where it's either we die or we get bought out, your party's going to survive if they get bought out. We might die or we get bought out. If you're put in a position where it's we have more money, you're probably going to end up losing the war because most in, in that, like, time period, most wars are usually won by money and troops. Sure. So, okay. I mean, it's either, you know, you lose you lose now or you lose in the future. It's kind of up in the air, but... But due to the nature of D&D, that party of five could literally tip the balance at any given point if just given enough opportunity to know what they're preparing for to tip the balance against. So, like, I'm going to go with the ones who keep the word because they'll break their way out of dodge and know what to do afterwards. If we're talking about murder hobo players, though... We're not. We're not. I mean... We're not, Jacob. We're really not. You're a group of mercenaries who's getting paid to kill things and live in a warfare setting. You're kind of murder hobos. You understand the subtle difference, though. Murder hobos are the ones who just kind of kill irreverently at random. Though, if you have a party... You understand my point on this one, Jacob. We're not talking the murder-hobo mindset, where it's just like, ha-ha, silly, it's just, you know, violence is always a solution. It's like, we're talking career soldiers here, mercenary types. They're, we're just, it's not the same thing. 
you can try to lump it in, but it's just not the same thing. Now, you can do whatever vocabulistic acrobatics you want to, <laughs> but they're not the same thing, Jacob. I will, I, you cannot have that one. If, if you do have a party of players, though, who are mercenaries and that's the whole thing is to go out being mercenaries, you're probably going to switch sides. They get offered to pay more money. If, as long as there isn't like a big bad at play or something like that, if we're talking just a warfare setting where both sides have their own reasons for the conflict. Mm -hmm. Then it comes down to yeah. party alignment, which, again, since we did this on the fly, we're not stipulating because we can't keep background adding stipulations. That doesn't make for particularly enjoyable arguments, Jacob. I mean... I, it doesn't. Lawful good, they're going to stay on the side no matter what faction they are. If mm. they're neutral, it's up in the air. If they're chaotic, I mean, not chaotic, but evil, they're probably going to go to the other side. Yeah. That's... You can't really change that. Sure. I'd say, though, like, if we're arguing from, like, the same side, like, same amount of people, you know, etc., if they're all lawful good, they're probably going to stay sides no yes. matter what. So, you can't really argue that because we haven't established what alignment they are. Right, well... I mean, if you're a mercenary, you're probably going to end up being a better mercenary if you're more of a neutral alignment than one side or the other. Sure, and you'll also probably have a much longer career as a mercenary and be more likely to be hired if word doesn't get round that yeah. you continually switch sides based on who has more coin. That's how your coin dries up. The only stipulation I'd say to that is it depends who wins because victors write the history. Sure. If the other local lord dies. Doesn't matter if the local lord dies if people just hear. Like if like that band of mercenaries set out with not who won. See, but the benefit of Lance Connect is his wardrobe's already ridiculously colored, so he just has to take some fabric from some dead soldiers and make... We're getting make sidetracked. It, I, it I, is... It, it does make for an interesting debate, though, because for... I mean, Vikings versus knights, it's... It's kind of a... Age-old question of... Not necessarily, it's really more a matter of chicken and egg scenario on this one because yeah. the whole reason historically speaking and fun and in case our listeners weren't aware historically speaking knights only came about as a response to vikings because yeah. the vikings could strike from literally anywhere there was any sort of river or stream that had at least a foot of water in it the viking ships could go through it they yeah. only drew a couple of inches in terms of hull depth they didn't really need much water to float through they were lighter and much more easily to drag over land compared to other ships of the time the vikings could literally come from anywhere without warning without much warning rather so the lords of the time local lords nobility of the time needed a fast reaction force that was able to react to the viking threat in a timely manner they were quickly. like but because you it's much more expensive to outfit an entire army if you're if you want to if you're because a standing army that's, Vikings are also another we have, reason we have standing arms, so they could garrison major cities. But in terms of fast reaction forces, it's not feasible to equip your entire army with horses. It's just not. It's no. just not logistically feasible. So they needed a force that could react to the Viking threat quickly. That were, but was still, localized. But could still get to the... get Do it so quickly enough, even though they didn't have as many men, it wouldn't matter because they were just better equipped and better outfitted. So you get... Mm -hmm. in, enter the knights. They are way more heavily armored than the Vikings had ever encountered before. 
they come on horseback, which the Vikings didn't have much of an answer for. Sure, it's, it's hard to spears. take horses on the ship. You have, well, you have spears and such like that, but they didn't have the pikes that are needed to deal with cavalry. Yeah. They had infantry, they had infantry spears. Their spears weren't terribly long. Spears have been something that's been around since the Greek times. because since, Ever since man's been fighting, it's been a thing, spears have been a thing. They're yeah. just, it's a sharp stick. Poke someone with it, they fall over and eventually stop moving. But the point is you need a certain size of pole armor, spear, or whatever mm-hmm. to deal with cavalry, and the Vikings just weren't equipped to deal with that. So they saw what worked against the Vikings, which is quick, heavily armored reactionary forces. Cavalry is great. Yeah. Combine the two, and suddenly we have a quick reactionary force of the Vikings that will keep them kind of at in check and at bay. The one thing I do want to preface with this, standing armies did not come around until till the end of the Renaissance, because... Standing armies as we know them. Because a garrison is different from a standing army, or a professional army. As we know them. Because standing army is something that you have year-round, you have paid, and their main job is being a soldier, which are very expensive, and that's and that's why taxes at the time weren't like how we view them today, weren't yearly taxes, because that didn't come around until the French had a yearly monthly tax sort of thing sure but i mean that is that is one thing to be said is knights kind of were the response to vikings so mm-hmm. if, if, which we're, one? if we're doing something realistic if we're saying who's gonna win in a fight i'm I, I love my i love my vikings but well here's the thing it really does come down to a matter of whether or not the knight whether or not the knights on horseback yeah that is the deciding factor in that fight, but that's not the argument we started out with. We've kind of delved into history on this, you know, just fun facts here and there. But Which is not bad if you're looking at something from D&D, because that's where we get a lot of the inspiration from D&D. It's from the tales of old, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, You can I, have all these pop culture inspirations for different character types and all that sort of yeah. thing, but if we really want to look at where those come from, it is absolutely from history. Yeah. From a rule side of things, I don't know. It, it can be up in the air, depending... Armor is going to help AC and stuff like that, which if you have a lot more tanky people, glass cannony people are going to not survive quite as long. Yeah. So if you're looking at, like, one versus one, I do have to say, though, with mercenaries, they're not not fighting each other. No. You're probably going to get more mileage out of a party of barbarians for the sole reason they can survive off the land. More, yeah. e- more easily. Yep, you can send them on further-reaching missions. They can, yeah. much, they can They will do a much better job as a vanguard. They can even do a really good job as a rearguard. Yeah. Just because they can utilize the guerrilla tactics a lot better than your knightly types. Yeah. And live off the land, they can prolong the rearguard action for pretty much as long as it takes for them to get overwhelmed, rather than the knightly types who kind of have a lot more limited options. They'll be able to form an immediate rearguard. Yeah. Just buy enough time for the army to get out of dodge, whereas the Viking barbarian types can f- can participate in an ongoing fighting retreat. Yeah. Like an ongoing rearguard rather than as a last stand rearguard sort of dealio. And a lot of that reason, too, is from the sole fact that Vikings were soldiers who went on raids, but they still had lives outside of the army. Right. Whereas the... knights are going to be professional career soldiers. I mean, it's a subtle. Di- the weird difference is that the Vikings, the difference between Vikings and knights, is that you know, they're the v- knights are kind of career soldiers, whereas the knights are warriors. Yeah. Oh, sorry. The, the Vikings. Other way around. Knights are the career soldiers. The Vikings are the warrior types. They don't really have necessary professional training. Yeah. Other than what comes from learned experience, the only ones that, the only, Vikings that continue to be Vikings 
are the ones that, yes, they train to use their weapons and all that sort of thing and be able to have the weapons, but all of their training, quote-unquote, comes from just out-in-the-field experience, trial by fire. So the only Vikings that you're going to really come across are the ones that survived long, survived enough. long enough, that were good enough warriors. Now, they had their tactics all their own, sure. You had the Viking shield wall. Great. But shield walls have been a thing across all civilizations since pretty much the concept of shields has been invented. I will kind of err towards the barbarian viking type shield wall being a bit more efficient than the knight shield knightly shield wall if the knights have their own shields they don't they didn't do shield walls as we know them as we as we know them yes no because we're talking D or pathfinder whatever yeah. sort of thing it's feasible to have kites or tower shields or whatever and that's all well and good but that is on a personal like just defending oneself sort of thing is a little bit more difficult to interlock those shields. Yes, sure, tower shields are a little bit more easy Tower to shields, I'd say, are easier. Just because we look at the Roman Testudo formation, that was where tower shields of their sort. But I will point more, I will err again more towards the Viking mercenary party coming out on top of that one just because of the nature of their shield wall. It kind of, it wasn't just, you know, yours linked with the mm -hmm. one next to you. It was yours linked with one next to you and the one next to that because it was kind of more of a weave rather than shield next to shield, like yeah. overlap with shields. So that at least, th if you're hitting one shield, you're technically hitting at least three. Yeah. It's just a little bit more flexible and feasible. The one thing I would say about the Knight Mercenary Party, as opposed to the Viking Mercenary cult uh, Party, you also have, like, kind of more of a political game. Because if you need someone to work and, you know, recruit other people, they knights are more of noble birth. They know how to solve political situations because one part of knights of course is being a military force but they're also lords sure like if you look at the traditional knight and even paladins they're who are usually the face of a party it's There's some degree of nobility some sort of degree of social yeah. ability sure and it depends on the social context we're talking here because if we're talking political game i mean i i guess i'll give you the knightly party having a bit little bit yeah. of an edge on that but if we're talking we need bodies we need we need good warriors um rather than hey come die for your country whatever the vikings will probably the viking barbarian party will be do you want to see you know tales of glory and adventure we got it rather than selling your death at, rather than the person's death being the selling point like die for your country the noble you know the selfless thing and like that's not the selling point the barbarians would be going for. The barbarians would be going for, do you want to do cool shit and cool shit accessories? Come with us. Yeah. Now, I'm sorry, because if I'm some random spud in a D&D &D village and there's people recruiting, and one of them's like, you know, come die for your local lord. It's like, I don't really want to die. You know, come die for your local lord. It's a good, proper thing to do, you know, as, as, a, as, as a citizen of his realm. It's like, eh. it's like, or come fight with us and go on grand tales and be paid well and... Write your name in history. It's like, I'm going to go with that because that version ends with me still alive. Though granted, for knightly mercenary factions, you're more looking at, hey, do you want to plunder and earn wealth more so than you'd ever see as a merely, uh, like, a mere peasant sort of thing. I mean, I... Because for mercenary, like, if we look at historical, because that's kind of <laughs> one of the few things we can look at, that's kind of how they would recruit people as, you're a peasant. If you come with us, you can make money. Sure. But again, if we're talking D&D &D Pathfinder, whatever, we're yeah. talking paladin types, they're going to be going much more on the kind of, True. you know, it's your honor-bound duty to die for your local lords. Like, I don't really want to die, and I'm doing okay right now. I could support the workers by being a farmer, 
well, the troops need food or whatever. I can just keep on farming. Yeah. Or the barbarian types in like, do you want to do cool shit, cool shit accessories, write your name in history as a hero of the ages and make money in the process? Come with us. It's like, I like that version because not only do I do my my duty to fight and fight for, my, for my lord, yeah. but I also get to be a badass in the process and I get paid and I'm still so still alive. So I'll, again, side with the barbarians on this one. If we are talking about, I mean, we are talking about D&D and Pathfinder, Paladins do have the bonus of more magical abilities yeah. than your Viking types. Sure. Which can, you know, they're, you're, they're your frontline tanks. So what happens when you have five frontline tanks who have all these buff abilities and party buffers? Well, you get some, you get some pretty powerful overlap. Sure, I mean, but the thing is, if we're talking D&D specifically, like everyone's got some sort of magical buff we got going on right now. Like, that's just how it is. It's just a matter of the way that it's used and all that sort of thing and the synergy we got going there. There is. So, like, we'll probably end up having to fucking revisit this argument when it's not on the fly. And we'll yeah. have to come in with, like, my party's better than your party, and See, here's why. And that's the one thing I'm kind of annoyed about and why I do a lot of homebrew is, like, everyone has magic. And I like magic. I like it to be a little bit more specialized, though. Sure. Like, if you have yeah. if you have magic, it's like having a ranged weapon or a buff. Or When when everyone has ranged weapons and buffs just from their spellcasting ability, besides, you know, what their class should be. But then again, I also like a little bit more of a low fantasy adventure as opposed to, like, high fantasy romp. Yeah. So that's up to the viewer's discretion of yeah. who would win here. Yeah. Cause we've gone point for point on pretty much every, like, this or that I think we've got between these two parties. Yeah. But on the note of, like, I like magic, and, you know, homebrew or something more like that, and it's like, that ultimately, uh, for games out there, that is kind of just DM discretion yeah. on that side. You know, how much magic do you want to be involved? Like, like you can still use the current D&D 5th Ed rules. You can just make the stipulation that unless you are, like, a, a wizard, a wizard or... or a mage or a yeah. or druid or whatever, like, if you're a fighter, or, like, if... Like wizard, druid, mage, cleric, whatever, paladin. You're the you're the ones who get to use magic. The other ones, like, you can't use offensive magic, and that's probably the compromise you have to arrive at. Yeah. Because if we're looking from a raw rule standpoint, it's like if the entire fifth ed rulebook is open season, like people can use whatever. If we're talking power game, min maxing, whatever. Not even min maxing. Just like you want kind of the strongest all rounder, bard. No, funny seriously. how funny how that is. No, but seriously, like, we look at the bard right now in current fifth, and he's just the answer to. He's got an answer. The bard has an answer to everything. You're tenacious, the bard. It's not even like not even just magical, magical yeah. combat. Whatever the bard's got the answer for pretty much everything because he can buff things with magical whatever, so that his close combat melee stuff is just can do what it needs to do. Everyone scoffs at the bard, but the bard is now the current powerhouse. Yeah, I mean, granted, that's our opinion, but. It, it, if, we, if you no, look at, at the rules, it, it's rules, pretty true. It, it does kind of point to like, yeah, everyone can do a lot of different things and do some things pretty well. It's just, but the bard just, he's got the answer. The bard's got the, the bard answer. has he or she. I'm sorry, yeah. he or she. The bard has the answer for fucking everything. I mean, the bard's had to live that long for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> and it wasn't his musical ability. Mm-hmm. Future is now, old man. <laughs> uh, but anyway, anyway. If you want to weigh in on who would be a better band of merry mercenaries, whether it's knights or barbarians, head on over to our Facebook page, Shieldwall Productions at Facebook.com. Oh. Or hit us up on Twitter at the official SWP. Again, if you want to weigh in or 
you have any stories of a party of mostly barbarians or a party of mostly mercenary-type knights. Or just want to say who won. It was me. <laughs> who won? Who's who lost? Next? Who's next? Uh, or just want to shoot the shit and talk. I'm more than happy to do that as well. Indeed. And until next time, mighty shield bearers, we shall catch you later. Toodles!